ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is to another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Um, look, we're at the critical stage of basketball um, in the bubble. We are reaching the point where uh, deci- the, the decisions of who's going to be in and who's going to be out are about to be made. And one of the teams at the top of that conversation is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, currently, they sit in ninth in the Western Conference. So I want to talk to someone who covers them daily, uh, can give me the pulse of that team, as well as just uh, their impressions on the NBA and what's going on in general uh, around the league. So I turn to Sharon Brown, who is Grizzlies beat writer for the Memphis, excuse me, the Memphis, I'm sorry, it's the Flyer, right? I was was losing my head. The Memphis Flyer and the founding editor of the Memphis basketball site, All Heart in Hoopsie, which I looked at multiple times and I love the concept of that one. Um, So the first thing I do want to jump in on is that basketball is certainly a big part of the Memphis culture. Is that something that you saw that people were clamoring for more news and just more information about that culture as it's kind of been a resurgence in it? Okay, so really I start, we started the site, the site out of spite. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. But the simple fact is women didn't have a voice. Right. Women did not have a voice. Um, we were in groups on Facebook. It's called Grizz Nation. And then so some of the ladies, you know, would say something about the team. team, And then, you know, people would take us seriously. And then, you know, folks was getting invited to write, do this and that. So I was like, okay. I was like, well, we need to start something for women to give women a voice to talk about the team. So that's when I met Amy Stigmeyer and All Hard and Hoop City was born. How has the response been? Um, and and I always ask this of the female journalists that come on because it is a different battle um, in in gaining credibility, in gaining respect uh, in this as a female journalist. How has that development been, and how is that how has it grown uh, for you and and that website? Okay, so I mean the development is it's been fine, but we had people who. They said they was going to, you know, support us, you know, when we first started. But when they looked at it, you know, we could actually write. And we could actually, you know, we knew what we were talking about. That support Wayne because I guess we were a considered, comp- you know, competition. But it's it's just feel like right now is I'm more popular and relevant outside of Memphis than I am in Memphis. It was the first year. I was invited to be on the ESPN flagship radio sports, you know, the sports radio. Yeah. And I was only invited because my friend was a co-host there. I was invited twice. So he, he went over to another radio station, but I haven't heard anything, you know, back from them as far as inviting me. But you know what? I really don't care at this point because it's just like, I, I don't, I don't care. 
because I know who I am, I know what I'm capable of, and I know what I can do. So I don't need anybody to, you know, I know my worth. Mm -hmm. I know what it is. I know what value in myself. So I, I don't need them for that. Yeah, I mean, we've been conditioned in a lot of ways, especially when, you, when you're independent, to carve a way out of no way. And I, I certainly understand that. I, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We have an ESPN station here. Um, I, my radio show is in New Orleans. Um, and there is still, right now, at this time, uh, not a single African-American or person of color of any type on either of the sports radio stations in this area um, and both areas are majority black. And then we don't have any women represented on any of those shows either. And so a lot of us like you and me too, Hey, they don't want us. Cool. We'll go do it on our own. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's just like with me, I could, you know, right. But it's just like I had a, a, I guess, stage fright of doing like the podcast and, because it's like sometimes I didn't want to be guests on shows or whatever because I was scared because I because like cause the prime example the other night when uh, LeBron made a quote at the Zoom presser, I put it on Twitter right, mm -hmm. and then instead of putting without, because he was saying like they couldn't win a championship, right. So it, Kyle Kuzma being that third best player, so autocorrect put with, and then people was all in my mentions. Well, he didn't say that. He did this. I was like, y'all knew what I was trying to say. Y'all knew that. But it's just like with women, we can't make mistakes like that because people are gonna be all on us. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. This and then and the other. And then like um, something else I put on Twitter the other day. I said that the Grizzlies don't have a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And then I was saying that, like, Portland, you know, they are urgent. You know, I see the sense of urgency in Portland. And then they're going to get on there talking some this, that, they need this or whatever. I said, I've been covering this team for six years. I, I watched their games, most of all of their games. Don't tell me about what this team needs. <laughs> I know. I have seen them play. I know uh, what their personalities are. I know this. Don't come and tell me that because I it just feel like – Women, we have to be on guard all the time because there are people out there are threatened by us because we want to write about and talk about sports. And it's just like, I I, ooh, I, I get sick of it. And then it's just like, I have to, sometimes I go hard at them and then, you know, they leave me alone. Oh, believe me. Believe me, I know. You know, I, I have certainly seen your responses to folks from time to time, and I and I know you see a few of mine people. And look, people get wild out on Twitter. They think they know you or that they can talk to you any kind of way. And I'm not talking about you, man, woman, whoever you are. I'm talking game. And you coming at me with some personal stuff, you will get lit up. Yeah, I'm just like, really? I mean, why? Criticize my work. Criticize my opinion. But when you come at me, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I, I, I'm not, I have a line. You can say I didn't write a good story. You can say I missed something. But it, when you start talking about me as the person, yeah, we're we, we going to have some problems. Right, because it's just like I tried not to really make a mistake, you know, when I'm saying stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it was a typo. And you know how autocorrect is. It's like, man, don't, don't come at me like that. Because I will cuss you out. That's what I said. <laughs> I will cuss y'all out. 
I mean, it, it's, it, it happens. The funny thing about Twitter, too, is you, like, let's say you do a thread and you get so many people who jump in on one part of it and they have missed your response and your preamble. Right. And they are wrong in their discussion. They will not let it go. And you're like, read? Right. And then sometimes, like, and then it's like with women, we have to prove that we know stuff. You know, it's just like, why well, I got to prove? I don't have to prove shit to you. You know, <laughs> I really don't. Because there's a lot of stupid people of all types who don't know anything about basketball and talk about it. Right, exactly, exactly. A lot of them are like, bro, really? I'm like, do you actually watch this team? Then someone don't know the player's name? I'm like, really? And then I be telling them, I say, well, you know, if you're going to be a fan of the team, at least, you know, you see their name, at least learn how to spell it right. Um, just that thing of, you know, when you're around certain fans and they have not, they don't understand the nuances of the game in that regard. They watch it and they consume it live but they're watching the ball they're not watching the off ball action they're not they don't know what play has been called they don't know what the what the 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 defense is doing in a particular situation and yet they are ready to tell you how this team should be coached or general managed right because like like oh well dylan brooks he had 25 points but you didn't know that dylan Brooks, you know he went uh eight of 20 i mean um I mean, like seven or twenty-six. You didn't know that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You didn't box look score at watching, action. right? <laughs> you box score watching, but not actually seeing that he took too many shots. You know. So we're in the bubble. Grizz sit at nine. Um, the controversy, of course, before we got into all of this, was the way this was set up. Um, with Memphis was firmly in eight. Uh, I, I really didn't have a problem in extending because I knew why they did it. it. Everybody wants to say it was about Zion. I don't think it was about Zion. I think more of it was just to get the TV. You had to get 70 games. That was the way you got 70 games. They weren't going to add a bunch of East teams that had no chance at the playoffs. So they took teams that all basically had the same record or winning percentage and put them in. It's up to right. them how they performed. The Grizzlies, for their position, I mean – I see it as they have nobody to, to, to be upset with other than themselves. Right, and then in, in, injuries happen. Yeah. I mean, it was a big blow, you know, not having Justice Winslow. And then I think the worst blow was not having um, – Jaron Jackson. No, Tyus Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you know Jaron, he started playing. He was doing really well. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was heartbreaking when he – you know, he went down. But Tyus Jones – he took so much pressure off John Moran where John didn't have to play play a lot of minutes. And then it's just like Tyus runs the Benz unit. And then it just like seems like they didn't really know how to function without him. He's so smart of a player and he makes minimal mistakes. It's just like you don't see everything in the box court, you know, with him. And that hurt really it hurt them really bad. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, is the bubble was, was not too kind to the Grizzlies. Do you with one game left? Um, how confident are you in in them pulling this last game out, and uh, you know, and and ho- hopefully for them playing most likely Portland in that eight nine play in. Um, I don't know. It depends on how they come out playing. I mean, um, earlier in doing the Zoom presser, you know. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Gorja Dang said that, you know, it, it's really do or die time. It's a fist fight. 
So, I mean, they know what they have to do. So it's just the fact of them doing it. So I it's think- just like they hold they hold it their own de- their own destiny in their hands, and they have to go out and win this game if they want to, you know, do, go into the play in, whether there be eight or ninth, you know, it's to do it that time. Do you think you know they get the Bucks who have clinched number one in the East? The Bucks have been resting players pretty regularly through the bubble. Um, first, do you think Giannis? I saw your comment, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I know your answer. But do you think Giannis is going to get suspended for that for the headbutt? No, no, because I, 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 I just think it was more flopping of anything. Giannis, you know, he shouldn't have done it, but I don't think. I don't. I mean, it was a headbutt, but I don't, it didn't cause that kind of reaction that he got. I don't know. I still think it's a flop. I don't care what anybody says. I think it was a flop because if he had a really headbutted him, we would have saw blood and everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it wasn't the aggression of it was mm-hmm. more like, but like what you see when two people square off in a in a hallway at a high school. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, he wasn't going over there to hurt, dude. It and was, then dude walked into him, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Having the Bucks in that final game, likely that the starters don't go over 20 minutes. You'd like to think that that's an advantage, but we've seen this in, in, in this bubble. They're predicting anything from night to night has been impossible. Exactly. So, I, I, it just depends on how – you know, they come out and play. It's just like those games that they lost, some of them they were, you know, it, they were really close and lost in the waning minutes. But it just seemed like they just need to put that fire back up under them to like, hey, this game really matters and we need to play for a full 48 minutes. Um, obviously, a lot has been put on John Morant's shoulders the last few games. Uh, but to get him to be more efficient, which was what his hallmark was for, for most of the season, was that he was playing very efficient basketball. Mm-hmm. That has not been the case as of late. How do they get him back into a consistent rhythm offensively? I think it happened like he was consistent last game. Mm-hmm. You know, he that was I think that was his best shooting game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it was. And he did pretty, he didn't shoot as many threes. Cause like that game against New Orleans, yeah. he had no he had no business shooting all those threes, whatsoever. So um, I just think that John need to know that he's the guy, and then I don't think he need to defer to anybody else. But I mean, Dylan Brooks, you know, he's a shooting guard, but I think they shouldn't limit his shots. <laughs> I really do, because I don't think he should be taking twenty six shots a game. I know Never. that they don't have I don't know that they don't have a uh, Jaren you know, on the floor, but I think they need to um, play inside and, you know, through uh, uh, Jonas Valanciunas. And um, last game, Ja was 7 of um, 13 from the Mm -hmm. field, and then he was uh, 11 of 15 from the uh, free throw line. He only took four three-pointers, and he made one. Yeah, that that part of his game will come. I I have no doubt in that because his form is good. Um, He's not – I just think it's 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 an adjustment. And point guard, and I, I continue to say this is the hardest position to adjust to from college to the NBA. Um, uh-huh. And he's done an exceptional job at it. I mean, I know people in New Orleans sometimes get mad if, when you say when I say this, but I don't care if the Pelicans had made the playoffs, even if Zion had played the last 20 games of the season uh-huh. and you've gotten 30-plus. Jaws rookie of the year. Jaws the right. rookie of the year. It's that simple to me. Right. He he really is, you know. 
And I, I and I think you know I think um, Brandon Clark should have been in the conversation. I really do because he's like a very efficient rookie, mm-hmm. and I just feel feel like he you know he should be in the conversation, even though he had you know he had injuries or whatever. But he should have been in the conversation for rookie of the year. He's one of the guys that I felt like New Orleans let get away when they took Jackson Hayes, who is mm-hmm. a project. I really wanted a Brandon Clark because. His physicality, he plays defense, he makes the he makes he's the guy who's gonna help your team win. I, I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star, but he's gonna help your team win. And I, I like right. that about him. Right. But yeah, he, he you know, he's a very good player and you know, it's just like they they're doing a really good job of developing him. And I, I think that he's just gonna be a part of the future. You know, if if they don't trade him off to try to get, you know, a really good shooting guard. But I doubt that. So yeah, it's a it's a weird market this year. Uh, like I just I, I I'm I don't know how many great shooting guards. First of all, there aren't. There's a there's we have less than I think we've had in a while. Shooting guards are a pretty weak position right now in the NBA, and I'm trying to figure out who's giving them up. You know what I mean? Like, like who's probably probably nobody. You know, unless you're going to try to overpay for somebody like a Brad Beal, which makes no sense to me for if you're Memphis, that's not a fit in my mind. I mean, I mean, Bradley Beal would change the landscape of Memphis. I'm just telling you right now. I just think the fit would be because he's such a usage guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and then he doesn't have the length. I think that that, that backcourt length. I mean, I don't know. I don't I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But I mean, that's a lot of money to invest in him when you've got – a young team that you're trying to build mm-hmm. to win probably if he, I mean, if the timeline is right for most great players, it's usually year three, four or five when they make the breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And would Brad Beal be on that kind of timeline, you know, to be an elite team? Would he wait more as, as the growing pains continue for some of these younger guys? I don't know. I, I have no idea. It just, it, yeah, that, I, I think he's looking for something. If 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 he has any say, you know, what well, everybody's looking for a winner. But if if he had any say, that's what I don't know. Um, I, I think that I think that um, they probably would have better luck, probably, you know, drafting a shooting guard. You know, somebody that we don't know about or whatever, drafting a good shooting guard or or finding one from the G League. I'm not sure. Because you know, like you said, it's just like you just don't know um, who will really want to come 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 here, and then it's just like you just don't trade your future assets for a loner. You know what I mean? Yeah, and especially with this off season coming up, it being so short, and having the draft come, and having to integrate whatever new players you're going to add, um, mm-hmm. and then to try to bring in a free agent as well, especially if they're a high-profile free agent when you're trying to get a season going again in December. It's just I think a lot of teams, unless they can get a major player, are going to essentially be standing pat or working around the edges because they want to be able to have some familiarity when they walk through in December. hmm Yep. I, I totally agree. So, so I think they should hang mm-hmm. on to their young assets instead of trying to, you know, the win-now thing. Yeah, a lot of teams make that mistake too early. And I try to, I, I've had this conversation with folks a number of times. Look how long it took Giannis and the Bucks to get to this point. The only two players 
left from the Bucks team when Giannis got drafted are him and Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if, if this is the process. It's they're going to be guys that you like that are young who are not going to be there when you get really good. It's just. Okay, so while we're talking, there's mm-hmm. breaking news. Um, Russell West, the Rockets announced that Russell Westbrook had an MRI that revealed a strained right cardiacep. He will not play Friday and will be reevaluated before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That, it. That's impactful. That is. <laughs> yes, it is. Look, I, I didn't, you know. I didn't want to, you know, do the breaking news on. No, I appreciate the show, it. but yeah, that's what coming. You know, I'm getting notifications from my Twitter. How? Just, just as an aside, with that, I, I, I am still not high on Houston, even yeah. if Russ plays. I, I, I don't think. I think that they've missed their their moment. Right, but I, I think they they uh, they have been. They're going to find ways to win as long as they have James Harding. On them, but I think the lack of uh, a big man inside, I think that's going to hurt them in the playoffs, especially with teams that have you know good big men inside. Yeah, because when they miss, when they're volume shooting and they miss, and they can't board, you just give the other teams transition opportunities, and that's right. And then you know, sixty-one threes is not going to work, you know, in the playoffs. No, and that that's why they to get you go back to two years ago when they played the Clippers. I mean, on the uh, excuse me, the um, the Warriors. If they don't shoot threes, they're in the finals. Right, cause cause they. I mean, how many threes did they? They. I think they missed. They missed what twenty like, something in a 20 row. Twenty some threes. In a row, I'm like, dang! If y'all could have just went inside, you know, y'all could have got points on the board. It turned a quarter of those shots into twos. Maybe you get a free throw or something out of it. You can get right. Good. I mean, the Rockets are just just they built themselves to beat the Warriors. Now that Warriors team doesn't exist, and I think that they went all in on this small ball. But that's a regular season thing. It will not work mm-hmm. in seven games. It just it just can't. Right. Right. People figure you out. They really do. Now, the prospects of playing Portland and that playing one and one against Portland during the regular season, but Portland is, in my mind right now, the most dangerous team in the West. Mm-hmm. How it's really important for the Grizzlies to get back into that eight because to beat right. Portland twice is going to be a problem. Well, I, 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 it, it, it just depends on what fight, who wants it more. And right now, I think Portland just wants it more. I really do. Portland wants it more. You know, it's just like um, the other game, you know, uh, C.J. McCollum, he, you know, he had a back injury. He didn't play as well. But Carmelo, you know, he was the guy to step up, you know, with Dane. So if they continue to get that and then, you know, having Nurkic back, um, what's his name? Yusuf Nurkic. Having him back, you know, that's good. Having Zach Collins back, that's really good as well. And then Gary uh, Trent Jr., you know, he's playing well. And then some of their bench guys playing well on defense and everything. They just, you know, um, they are a good team. And I think if the Grizzlies do win, they're going to have trouble, you know, beating them twice. Damn, and, and then it's just like I think that they, they're going to have trouble beating them once. I, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what's really going to happen. But it's, it's, it's down to who wants it more. Because, like, the first game, they had a chance to beat beat Portland. But, you know, like, without Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, 
I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah, because Portland has so much size up front. Um, right. And then the bigs, like for Carmelo now, I think people mm-hmm. don't realize that his last year in Oklahoma City, he shot 40% basically from three. The problem was he wasn't getting his comfortable shots, the mid-range, the post-ups. He didn't get any of that. Well, Portland is giving him that because they run so much pick and roll and they run a lot of ISO and Dame can penetrate and find him. And so, yeah, if you let Carmelo do what he does, he can give you – it's not going to be 26 every night, but I think it's reasonable to think that he'll give them 17, you know, and eight on a consistent basis throughout the rest of this postseason if they make it. And, and especially when the Grizzlies, you know, they're not a good team at defending the three. Because, like, the, the, the last game when they played them, Carmelo, um, you know, they did – he uh, got two uh, straight threes, no defense. It's just like they ignore him, and then he just killed them. So, I mean, it is what it is. They have to want it. But I, I think the best matchup for the um, the play-in would be um, Portland and um, the Suns because the Suns hasn't lost the game yet. That would be an exciting, you know, playing tournament. What's your thought on doing this again next year and making this 8-9 thing if the teams are close enough and and having a – doing this on a regular basis? Do you think the NBA is consider it, would consider changing it? And if so, do you like it? I mean, it depends um, because if teams play and then they have that record throughout the season – do it to me. It seemed like you giving the people that behind behind them a chance where they can like. I don't know. I, I just don't. When I first when it first happened, I didn't think it was fair, and I just really don't think it's fair now. Even though I don't care if the Grizzlies were ninth or tenth, I really don't think it's fair because that AC have been playing good ball all season. The other teams had a chance to do that, but I just feel like it's it's not right. I don't know. I, you know, you have to come back to me on that one. I mean, right now, I just don't feel like it's fair. I th- I think going forward, it would be unfair. Absolutely, because, I mean, you pl- mm-hmm. if you play 82 games and you're in eighth and another team is a game behind you, that that's just how it goes. We saw, we've saw we seen that plenty of times where it comes down to the last game of the season. Uh, I just think right. that this was a special circumstance because you had mm-hmm. so many games left. and. Right. Teams could have potentially closed that ground. We don't. We we couldn't know. Now I would have been fine too if the NBA would have said we take the top eight no matter what and let's go. I would have been fine right. with that. I wasn't asking right. for more. So right. I mean, but I, you know, it's just like it was due to the TV money and all that. But uh, again, but I think that what I do think they should change. I think it should be the top sixteen te- sixteen uh, teams, regardless of conference. regardless of conference. That's what I think it should be because some of these East teams are, you know, just like before, you know, like the West, you know, they are much more better than the East. You know, we, you know, got to get real with that. But, you know, a couple of years, you know, the East, you know, they've been coming, you know, coming on strong. But I think that, you know, a team that go, you know, 38 and, you know, 50, whatever, you know, I'm not adding, adding it up right. But you know what I'm saying. A team that's like below 500, if, you know, in the East, and then a team in the West won 48 games, 
that team that East shouldn't be uh get a playoff spot. That that's not right. You know, it hasn't been fair, you know, for years. So I think it should be the um first, you know, the uh sixteen teams or put it to twenty. Twenty teams or something like that. I, I don't know. I am actually an advocate of getting rid of divisions and just having the two conferences. I know they won't do because what I would like to see is if you have two 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 conferences and you just do it straight up and down, you have the what, 16 on each side. So you play every team in your conference three times. So that's 45 games. And then you play every team on the other side two times. So that's another 32 games. So you end up with 77 games in the regular season. And then yeah. you take the top 16 regardless of record. I think that might – that's me. That's that, I think that would be interesting because mm-hmm. I don't like the unbalance of the schedule where some teams are playing four teams that are good and then other teams are playing that team three times and they're out of the division. The only thing that's stable in the schedule is your division and your, your out-of-conference um, schedule. Everything else is a rotation, and I think it's, it's – I'd like to lessen the variables on a team season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just either they need to have the um, sixteen teams regarding a conference, or you know, make it twenty teams or something like that to make it better. Or they have play in um, the playing in tournaments may be good, but you know, it need to be at a neutral site. But who knows what's going to happen in the future? Because I don't know when we're going to get the coronavirus under control. And we are definitely going to be seeing some labor problems next year. There's going to be a lockout next year. There's going to be a lockout. I mean, I know the owners didn't decided not to open up the collective bargaining agreement next year. I mean, this year, but they will. They will. There's going to be a lockout. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just prepared for that. And then, which is, you know, yeah, we could we could have, we have COVID, and then we could be talking about a lockout next summer. And it's just, can we please just have a drama-free season? And go through some of this. With yeah, just... and then when you know we we don't really know when the season is going to start. You know, is mm-hmm. it going to be December? Is it going to be January, February? We don't know. How are they going to do that? What are the plans for that? We just don't know. Are there going to be fans at the game? Are they going to do this and that? It's just a lot of unknown due to the it, coronavirus. It, it's it's the most unusual time, obviously, in our lifetimes for anything. Uh, but this in particular for our business is just it's thrown it into it's thrown it into chaos. I mean, you know, we've seen so many colleagues lose their jobs. We see so much. Uh, so many of us are scrambling more, including myself, scrambling more mm-hmm. to try to get enough gigs to, to keep things going. It's uh-huh. this has and for the people who come out and say that the media doesn't want sports. I'm going to just say, look, we're trying to eat. We want sports. We just concer- I'm concerned about safety and I'm not going to. Keep quiet about that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that, and then it, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think that people would prefer, you know, when we do this thing about don't bring politics into sports or don't talk about the issues related to athletes, I just think there's this sentiment to dehumanize athletes and to make them just the product and that as long as they're entertaining – then the rest of it doesn't matter what their living conditions are, what their um, mental health is, what any of those things, it goes out the window as long as people can watch their games. Right. And then it just like, I, I say this all the time, you know, people tell me, well, I need sports, you know, not to deal with everything. Else. But, you know, these athletes didn't sign up to be your therapist. If you need a therapist 
go go seek therapy. Sports shouldn't be your therapy. You know what I'm saying? And then it's just like this is the time in our lives where you know when sports was gone. People need to look within themselves and stop using sports as a crutch because it's just like you said, they don't look at these players like if they're having issues at home. Just because you have money, just because you have uh, uh, you a millionaire, that don't mean that you don't have mental illness. That don't mean that you don't have problems just like the rest of us. Money covers up a lot of stuff, but it's just like it don't mean that everything is perfect because you have money. Sometimes having more money, it causes more problems. Absolutely. As the great one said, uh, with this group of young talent and having Ja Morant, the likely rookie of the year, what kind of assessment would you give of the job that Taylor Jenkins has done? And do you think he's going to be in getting, you know, that he should have gotten heavier consideration to be coach of the year? Because I don't, you know, he's not going to win it, but I, I think he deserves some really strong consideration. Yeah, I was thinking that he does, you know, he does um, need consideration because, you know, there was a rebuilding, a rebuilding year. They got rid of, you know, uh, Marcus Allen and Mike Conley uh, and everything. And it's just like, did nobody expect them to be where they are now? They should not even be in the bubble. They should be one of the teams that weren't invited to the bubble. But, you know, here we are. And it's just like he's – you know, he, he's a rookie coach. We people need to realize that. And then it's just like you can't blame him, you know, for the simple mistakes that the guys do. But, you know, even though I, I think that there's, there's, more, there's more learning for him and for the team. So you just have to give him time in order to be a great coach. But I, I have no problem with him at all. So, Well, your former coach, David Fisdale, um, is on the market, and Pelicans fans are really interested in Fizz. I like Fizz. Um, what was your thought of him while he was in Memphis, and do you think he got a raw deal? Well, I mean, it's just like I, I, I love Fizz. Um, I don't think he should have got gotten fired, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But right. I think he needs to, you know, he should be a head coach somewhere. But I just don't understand why people want to get rid of Alvin Gentry. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand that. I don't understand. But, you know, it's this business. It is what it is. You know, fans want something instant. Mm -hmm. But do you really think that it was on just Alvin Gentry on how to play Zion? I don't think that was coming from the top. You just can't blame the coach when they're working directly with the front office about player management and stuff like that. No, I mean, you take each of the last two seasons, and if we're being honest, mm-hmm. last year the whole season was submarine from day one because Anthony Davis had told his teammates that he was going to ask for a trade during the summer. Right, right. So that season was over from day one. Right. And then you come into this year, they build them a team that the average age is 24. And on top of that, your number one rookie – this generational talent that you've asked for misses the first 50 games, basically the season. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to, and they gave him no backup bigs. And I, I'm going at the end of the season, when we have our in the uh, presser, I'm going to have some very serious mm-hmm. questions for David Griffin, because Zion goes down before the season starts. Derek favors goes down with injury about three weeks into the season. And they never replaced the big. Right. They never replaced the big. And I'm watching Joachim Noah now with the Clippers. And I'm like, 
At the time, I said, why don't they go sign Noah? He's a free agent. He can pass. He can defend. That's what you're looking for. They never signed a big. And they also built a team with a bunch of guys who are six foot four. There are flaws on this roster that the coach can't correct. Exactly. And then it's just like, I think that to me, I'm just going to be honest here. Black coaches are not giving us um, as much leeway as white coaches are. I mean, just, just let's be real about it. Not in this league, not in the NFL. I mean, they're just not. It's just like people get, are ready to replace them off the bat. Why? Why, why is that? I don't understand. I, I really don't understand. Give this man time. You know what I'm saying? Give him time. Give him a full roster, a full strength. Then I can see if everybody was healthy, then, okay, well, maybe they need to new, get a new coach. But when you have injuries, you have things that the front office – on office is doing that's not really helping the team. What can he do if he has no control over the roster? What can he do? Because the thing in the NBA is you have to have consistency. What made the grindhouse work was that those guys were together for years. What made exactly. Golden State work is that those guys all came up together. And the Pelicans, as a franchise, have not returned the starting lineup since 2004. That's incredible to me. That's incredible. How do you go 16 years and not bring your starters back one time, your whole starting lineup? Right. And then it's just like you can't – I mean, it's just like you have to do something different. You have to do something different. Invest in your team because it's just like if you keep doing the same thing, Zion going to want to want, want to want out like Anthony Davis did. You know, if, you, if it's the same thing over and over from year to year. You're not yeah. going to be able to keep your stars if you don't invest, you know, give them some help. At least try. Because I'm, I'm, I am not a believer in the whole market size argument. Because really when people talk about market size, what you're talking about is L.A. and everybody else. Right. Because New York is a big market. Ain't nobody rushing to go play for the Knicks. Exactly. It, Atlanta's unless a big you, market. Unless you just want money. Yeah. Atlanta's <laughs> the blackest city I know. Ain't no free agent signing with Atlanta. I have a name a free agent that signed with Atlanta the last twenty five years. A major one. None. I don't know. Not but Boston. I think, I, but I think maybe you know, like since Trey Young is, you know, I think maybe you know, like with the younger, with the new guys, the younger guys that are, that are pretty good. I think maybe they can draw people because I think that Jaren and Ja make it probably be able to draw people. I think Zion maybe can you know draw people to play 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 with him. You know, but I think, you know, the market thing, like we have like good guys that they drafted that's going to be generational stars. I think that they can draw, you know, some of the uh, free agents. Yeah, I mean, if you build a team around your star, Portland is not a big city, but they got a superstar. Dame Lillard is a superstar. And so, you know, I, I even you know, Oklahoma City is not a big city. Golden State was not considered a big market until they started winning championships. Nobody was talking about right. Golden State like it was a big right. market. Right. So, I mean, I think it's just a silly perception. The whole thing to me is you either have good management or you don't. And it doesn't matter where you are. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I think that um, I, I, I can say, like, Oklahoma City – they have surprised me because, like, no one thought that they would be good as they are, you know, with Chris Paul and then the rest of those folks. No I one think, thought that. 
Yeah, I, I believe Chris Paul um, in a different year would be mm-hmm. a top five MVP MVP candidate for what he did to, for Oklahoma City because they're supposed right. to finish dead either last or next to last in the West. Right, but they you can't because that's what that's what I hate about like the predictions. People just I know people are paid to do that, but it's just things that things that work on paper. You know, sometimes they don't pan out when actual games happen. Because look how people thought Miami was going to be with Jimmy Butler. Because people were like, Jimmy Butler, why he signed with them, whatever. They was talking trash or whatever. But look what, look at the situation Miami is in now with Jimmy Butler. So I just don't – it's just like I'm part of the media, but sometimes I hate the media narrative. I hate it with a passion at times. Look what happened with Carmelo Anthony. People saying, well, he shouldn't be in the league or whatever. And then it's just like GMs and people, they look, look at this shit on uh, social media. They watch Twitter faithfully. Some of them have butter accounts. I'm like, really? And then it's just like, listen to this stuff, and then they don't sign people, and they don't do this, do that. And then Portland, you know, they uh, took a chance on Carmelo, and it's working out. Yeah, it certainly has. And like you said, the 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 – the media does this in particular with certain athletes that they choose because they don't – their persona over – that the media ascribes to them overcomes whatever they do on the court. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it. I, mm-hmm. Go ahead. I mean, we saw it, like one of the most egregious examples for me is watch, was watching the Stephon Marbury documentary and seeing – how as his career went on, it just became easier and easier for people to put all the blame at his feet. And it's mm-hmm. never one person's thing. It, an organizational failure is never on one player, but media narratives become Carmelo, uh, Carmelo's a cancer. Stefan is a cancer. This guy's a cancer. And you are damaging people's careers with that stuff. And then, I'll, okay, let's put it this way. Okay, so why, why it just seems like okay, this this is the problem that I have. If you have more black people or other people of color writing about these guys, telling their stories, I don't think we would have this. That's another problem of representation. You have a majority black black lead, but the editors and writers who cover these people are mostly white males. Why is that? And then this is the kind of thing that I talk about the media narrative because the narrative can be out there where they really don't understand these players. You know what I'm saying? They don't, uh, they don't understand them. And then they put stuff out about this, that, and the other and then make people hate them. And people won't listen to everybody else. You know, like we talk, you know, I'm a woman. Um, I don't have clout. You know, um, I don't have a blue check by my name, but people w- w- won't listen. But when you have the situation where you have mostly white males talking about these guys, and, you know, sometimes that, that hurts them. That's why a lot of these players don't like the media, and some of them are creating their own platforms to get their messages out. Yeah, and it's, it's impacted us in the sense that because of that lack of trust, it is mm-hmm. harder to build relationships with those players and get that access to tell their stories in, in exactly. a more accurate manner. Right, exactly, because it's just like you, you see stuff, and then I, lately I have been seeing stuff where people just calling this stuff out. You know, I don't know what happened, you know, in the country, you know, like after the uh, what happened with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like people in the media, especially black people, are more open to talk and say, call all this stuff out. 
they have been calling stuff out. They've been calling stuff out about what happened in their uh, their media rooms and calling stuff out about what happened in companies. Yep. And then I think it's just, it's just a good thing, even though it had that that this tragedy to happen for people to wake up and listen. I think it 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 will be a good thing. But it's just like people. I don't want the performative things where organizations come out well. Black Lives Matter, where Black Lives Matter, prove it, prove it in your hiring hiring processes. Not, you know, not just diversity, you know, with reporters. Have we need some editors, you know, that diverse editors. Mm-hmm. We need diverse, right? We need people, the diverse decision makers. Yep. People that make decisions. We need those. You know, don't just put on social media with Black Lives Matter. Prove it. Yeah, That's what I want. You. Prove it. Everybody's with us until it's time to make the change, and right. then it's it's like mm, that's that's a bridge too far. It, and, it don't make any sense that they are just now hiring a diversity inclusion inclusion person. No, if you do right from the get go, you don't need a diversity inclusion uh a person. You don't need that. You don't need a diversity inclusion director or editor or manager. If you did right, you know from the get go. You would need all these things. Just do right because you have black women out here that are smart. They know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. That needs to be hired because you know a lot of these people just hire their friends or whatever. And then we have like a podcast and everything where people talking about the same thing to each other and white male. It's it's, it's time out for that mess. Yeah, yeah. As long as and and on a basic economic level. If you mm-hmm. keep casting a small net, you are limiting the talent available to you. And and I don't understand from a if you're a, that tells me that it's more than business. Right. It 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 really is. Because if you were looking for a basketball player, you don't you ain't gonna just stay in the area around your stadium and say, I hope we find some basketball players. You're gonna go look for them. So if you really want talented people, you know where to you know how to go find them. You just don't want right. to look. And then, then that's the lie. It's like, well, we didn't find any, you know, talented people or whatever. We didn't do that. Did you look? Did you look? No, you did not. Because plenty of these jobs, you don't even see them see them posted. Next thing you know, there's an announcement. Well, I got hired this, and then people getting hired off tweets. Well, I lost my job, this and that. And then, like, the next day, oh, this person hired me. Well, give me your resume. And then it's just like, we, I know some black women, they uh have to go through three or four or five interviews where people are hired off of tweets. Do you hear me? Yes. You no, know, you just get sick. You just get so sick of it. And then I not only fight for my black women, I fight for my black men, but I just want that, you know, that fight to be reciprocated. I want them to fight for me as well. Hey, believe me, I understand. Believe me. I like, I, I don't ever put myself in position to say, I mm-hmm. understand that way because I can't understand fully, but I understand my role mm-hmm. as an ally to be active in saying, no, this is wrong. We're not going to do this here. Um, mm-hmm. And when those conversations, you know, you, you, when you're in it, that the treatment of in the locker room or by the press, people overlooking when you're ready to ask a question, yeah, all those things, it's up to us as other media members, particularly our black male media members, to stand up and say, this this can't go on. This isn't right. And, and they're so quick to pigeonhole women and put you in the pregame spot or the sideline spot, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But if you're right. forcing people into those roles because that's where you think they belong, 
then that is a structural problem that I have, I have, a, I have a beef with. All right, let's get back to something a little more positive. Um, wh- one, okay. of the thi- <laughs> one of the things I am excited about that makes me happy is the future of the Southeast division itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a changing of the guard taking place as San Antonio ages and doesn't have the dominance and Houston is kind of on the downside of their window. You got Dallas, Memphis, and New Orleans with three of the most exciting young players in the league. Teams that play an exciting style of basketball, three. And I think that this could be – these three teams could be the top three or five, you know, in that range of top five teams in the West for five to seven years to come. Right. So it's just like you said, three players. So I'm going to tell you it's four. Maybe five. Well, I think there are more players, but I'm just saying right now off the bat, you know what I'm saying? Ja, Zion, Luke are the faces of those teams. There are Brandon Ingram. You just can't say. But I'm just saying, you just can't say that Ja is the face of the Grizzlies. You have to include Jaron Jackson Jr. Yes. You mean it just? You really have to include Jaron Jackson. They they are two together, joined at the hip. (laughs) I mean, I'd say the same for Brandon Ingram. You know, is it all star? It's not. You know, I'm just. You know, I'm using that perspective as they're led right. by these faces of the NBA. And the NBA is going to right. promote Zion, Ja, Luka. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but <laughs> it's hard when Southwest, I can't see your face. Yeah. But, yeah, the, South, the Southwest division, you know, is – yeah, it's, it's – it's it's, you know, it's just like that division have been, like, one of the top divisions, you know, in the league for a minute. Yes. Because it's like – I remember some, you know, one year, it was like everybody in the division went to the playoff. Except for, the, yeah, it was four out of five, yeah. I, I think the only ones that didn't that year were the Pelicans. Four out of five. Didn't the ones go one time? Yeah, the, the, I, we got in the year that Oklahoma City missed it when Katie missed 30 games and mm-hmm. ended up losing to Golden State in the first round. I think that was the year everybody made it. They went, yeah. I think it was the yeah. Yeah, it's everybody? usually it was th- yeah, it's usually was three, three or four of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, four, four of them going, or the whole divi- whole division going. But yeah, that division been tight, you know, for a minute. But yeah, I think um, you know, with Luca, Ja, um, and Zion, you know, it's just like they're gonna be, you know, the face of the league, like you said. And then it's just like that's gonna bring the Southwest division, you know, on the come up if they really. Keep the divisions. You know, a lot of people yeah. want Memphis and New Orleans to go to the East. <laughs> I'm cool with that. If you find, I mean, I guess that would mean that Vegas and Seattle probably would have teams mm. at that point. But I mean, I don't mind if, if, if I mean Memphis and New Orleans move to the East. They pro- both franchises probably be even better record wise if they did. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I don't yeah. mind it. No, I don't mind it at all. But yeah, I think you know it's just like the Southwest Division. You know, it's 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 on the come up. It absolutely is, and um, one of the other parts of that that's exciting to me as well is the fact that New Orleans and Memphis, which are cities that have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. both river cities. Both, you know, Delta, you know, jazz, blues, um, you know, very, um, very segregated cities at times. Uh, 
you know, histories of there's there's a similarity, but now there's also this budding rivalry where there never really was a rivalry before. But now with these two teams having the number one and the number two pick in the draft, these two guys that have known each other since they were in high school. From South Carolina. Yeah. And it's just this this edge of I love the snarkiness and the bitterness between the fan bases. It's it makes it better. But it's it's really not a rivalry with the guys because it's just like Ja even said it. It's just, it's, it's just a media fan driven thing. Ja was like, "That's my that's my boy. He's gonna be my boy for life. We got love for each other. It's, yeah. it's not us, you know." Oh, I'm but not talking about just, it. Yeah, I just think the yeah, yeah. cities when they buy in because the the we neither team has been a primary rival for somebody, right? And this, I think, as these two teams grow. It becomes there. There are so many opportunities because they're going to play each other so often each year because of the, mm-hmm. the, those two guys, and the, because now that the cities, especially as it got to be this negotiation for the the bubble, mm-hmm. that really started pushing it up to the top. Right. So I'm I, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, the fan the fan basis. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started with that. Because people can't can't see beyond their teams. That's no. why I say it pays to watch other teams, watch other teams regularly, know who their guys are. Because you, you can, know you're gonna you, you're gonna end up is just like if you don't watch these players, your team probably end up trading for that player. Well, he stinks. He's this that we the other. But then when he gets to your team. Oh, he's not like that. So I think it's just like it pays to watch other teams. How much of a fan of the game are you at this point, or are you still a fan of a team? Oh, I'm I'm a fan of the game. Seriously, I I, I love it because you know it's just like I want to hate and trash on Dame Leonard, Leonard, but he's cold, man. Yeah, he's gotta respect him. Cold. Gotta, gotta respect, respect the game. He wanted. He said we go on to the playoff. He wanted. So it's just like when he make his mind up, you have to respect LeBron. All these other play. I just love the game. So let's get some picks for you. All right, we go into the playoffs. What do you see? Okay, first let's we'll do the scenario. If Memphis is in the eight, what do you see as the scenario for the West? How does that play out? Oh, you said Memphis get the eight? Yeah. Oh, uh, they're gonna lose to the Lakers. I mean, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. And then what do you see? Do you think the Lakers come out of the West? Um, or are they – I think they're vulnerable. I, I, to me, I think all the teams are vulnerable. But I, I just don't know. <laughs> I just True. don't know. Because it's just like you can't just count out teams right now. Because, like, the bubble is a whole different situation. You know, it's not home court advantage. You just nope. don't know what's going to happen. Nope. And I, I, but I, I think the Lakers have some flaws. Because my thought is this. If Portland were to get to eight, in my mind, Portland's the favorite over the Lakers. Now, I know nobody's going to bet it that way, but in my mind, Portland is 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 the favorite over. Lakers. I'm watching what Portland did to them in the regular season, uh-huh. and the fact that Lakers don't have guards who can stick with Dame Lillard. I, and I've we saw him drop fifty on Kobe night. I yeah, mean, especially, especially uh, when um, they don't have um, Bradley, their best defender, Brad, yeah, Avery Bradley. He's not there. Um, will Rondo be back? I, I have no idea. People, you know, people try to de- uh, dog on Rondo. 
but they sure need him right now. Yeah, they need him they, for control. Somebody right, exactly. they need him for control. He's not a great defender anymore. People need to right. just he's he can't defend. Right, but it's but just like he they need him. He know how to control that offense. He can control the offense in his sleep. You know. Oh, he's he's one of the smartest people I've ever been around. Right, and, and I'm not talking about just basketball. That dude is smart. And people, like, he understands. When he was here for that short time, this was his team. Exactly. But it's just like that. You you know, that team, you know, when uh, Rondo, um, what's his name? Uh, God. Boogie. The, the, yeah, Boogie. I sure hate that Boogie went down that season because I think that that team would have went far. Nope. Boogie. I mean, nope. that, I'm, New Orleans was, whew. Nope. I'm going to tell you why. Now I, you was salivate. I was but, salivating over them, really. I was like, let me man, tell you why. Let me tell you why. The inside story on this. Okay, so remember, they were only three games over 500 when Boogie went down. Mm-hmm. At that point, he and Rondo were not speaking pretty much. Oh, wow. Rondo and Boogie did not get along at all. Not at all. You think, oh, well. oh, they're Kentucky guys. They should be cool. No. They were they were at each other's throats because Rondo couldn't stand the fact that Boogie was, would not play defense. He couldn't. It, it bothered him so much. And he hated the fact that Boogie broke off plays. And there was a lot of conversation about Boogie being a stat chaser, that he would go over to the coaches and ask to get in the game more. That once, One of the stories that I heard was that and this is from the staff told me this, that there was a game and Boogie was complaining that he wasn't getting enough shots. So they handed the stat sheet to Alvin and Alvin showed the stat sheet to Boogie. Boogie had five more shots than AD at that point. Rondo <laughs> took the paper and threw it at Boogie's face. Wow. They go into the locker room at halftime and Rondo's waiting on Boogie to fight. <laughs> like legit. They were they were Damn. about to go down. And when Boogie got hurt, the conversation was that Rondo said, Oh, now we're gonna win. Because we're, gonna be a, we're a team. And they did. And and the weird thing on that too is I was told by people very close to the situation that there was a meeting at Anthony Davis's house before everything kind of fell apart, where they had decided that they were fine if the Pelicans did not offer Boogie an extension. That Rondo, AD, and um, a couple other folks met and said, we're cool if he doesn't come back. Now, they're still friends, AD and Boogie. They're friends. But at the time, they had made that decision amongst themselves. The whole thing was that once Rondo went to L.A., and then you had the whole clutch stuff start to get in, That's that, that was the thing. But them working together, Rondo wanted no parts of Boogie. So I want to have it – has it changed now, you know, when Boogie was with the Lakers? Well, we don't know now because, you know, he got released. So he got yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know he got released, but – I don't know. So I don't know gonna, what they're going to try to – Are they going to try to bring him back? But that's interesting. I did not know all any of this. Oh, wow. Yeah, that team was really dysfunctional for mm-hmm. a lot of that year up until that point. And people were getting excited about them because they were putting up great numbers. They were, absolutely. Right. But we would go into the locker rooms after those games, and when they were losing early on, if Boogie had a big game, 
AD ducked out early at, at post game. He didn't stay around okay. to answer questions. If they lost and Boogie had a big game, he was gone. Drew Holiday too. You sneak out behind, you know, behind the big board and go out to the, to the locker room, and we, we mm-hmm. so we had to start trapping him. You know, we had to start. Right. You know, y'all go over there by Drew's locker, and we'll stay over here by this locker and, and <laughs> try to get our interviews. So, yeah. That being said, it, it would have been an interesting combination to see what it would have happened, but uh, the thought is just that I don't know if it would have worked here. Um, on the East, is it basically at this point? I think it's it's either Miami um, or Toronto. Those are the only two that have a chance to beat Milwaukee. Yeah, Toronto. I mean, they they just been balling. I you know, like people counted, People been counting them out since you know Kawhi is not there, but they have been balling. And then it's just like you cannot, you cannot take them for granted. Look how they whoop up, whoop up on the Lakers, and then it's just like that game that Memphis played them. They took Jonas Valanciunas out the game. They double teamed him. Dude didn't have no points. He took two shots. I mean, they were so pesky and everything. And if they, you know, continue to do teams like that, oh, my. Yeah, if they defend, I mean, they're they going really to get defend. Shots. They, they really defend. I mean, they just, man, I, I, you know, the, the last thing, I, you know, just you remember how the Grizzlies used to be? Mm-hmm. That's how Toronto is now. You know, they have Marcus All on that team. But that's how they are now. They play the right way. Mark don't even have to score that many points right now and then they're still winning and he liked that situation he liked when people play the right way as he said oh yeah oh yeah I mean that and that was the hallmark to me of those grindhouse teams was that yeah they were tough but they played as a unit that every guy knew right. his responsibility and took up for the other guy right those were great teams those were great teams to watch. I loved them. I was mad right. when they stopped playing Whoop That Trick at the games, though. I understand why, but that was – I mean, was... I mean, they they still play it, you know, during playoff time. Oh, they do? Yeah. I thought it had been banned. That's what I no, thought. No, it, it was not. It was not. Oh, okay. Oh, no, it was not, it was not banned. No, no, no. If, if you know, during playoff time, they will play it. That, that, that's so Memphis. It doesn't like that is so. It really is. It really is. And, and that's then it's why... just like it really like you know Jai is like really buying in to Memphis. I mean, he's really buying in to Memphis. It remind it's got to remind him of home in a lot of ways. In the same way, like Brandon Ingram from North Carolina, he loves it in New Orleans. I think you know there's that mm-hmm. southern part of it. It's Memphis is a city, but it's got a lot of town a town appeal to it. With the mm-hmm. especially with that black culture of people who really will embrace you if you embrace them. Exactly, you love Memphis. Memphis will love you back. And it's like that from top to bottom. You know, just to get off on on the on the pro side to go to the college side. Penny Hardaway and what he's building there now, that is a potential to be special. Right. You know, people, you know, especially if they win a national championship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, what, the last time Memphis in the Final Four was what? I want to say 1981? No. No, sir. No, sir. When, um, well, you know, the season, um, 
when uh, Derrick Rose was here, but you know they banned that season. Oh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I forget about that one because I'm going all the way back to. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When it was Memphis State, that's yeah. what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about the Derrick Rose because officially University vacated. of Memphis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was vacated, which I think was trash. But you know, I don't believe in vacating things. I'm a big Michigan fan, and I, they went to the Final Four. I saw them play, so you ain't gonna tell me that they didn't go. Exactly. <laughs> they were there. And that's what the stupidest thing you can't. Everybody who played in the game, they don't be like, "Well, we won now." No, no, you didn't. You lost. You, you, that's what happened. You lost to that team. And that's just the way it goes. Um, this LeBron Giannis thing for MVP is it even a discussion? Because to me, it's Giannis, and it's not even close. Um, I can I tell you, it's just like it really don't matter to me. <laughs> I mean, it should uh, matter. I mean, but I, I mean. It, I, it, it, it really don't matter to me because it's just like I, I don't just give it to who whatever. But it's just like I mean I, I don't know. I guess what I'm I just, don't like is the way that they're trying to shape this thing and create a story for LeBron to get an MVP. It's like what? Why is that necessary? I mean, it's you know people. It's just like they have you know the ones who have a right to vote. Let them vote or whatever. It, it is what it is. You know, it's just because, like, sometimes the players, when they give the players a vote, some of the players don't take it seriously at all. No, they all. don't. No, they but, don't. And, and I don't think that the – here's my problem with, with all the voting and stuff. I really don't think that you giving the MVP, you getting all NBA team, that shouldn't be tied to nobody's money. I don't think that sh- it should be. No, that's because wrong. Because when, when you have people, because, you know, people can be biased. Mm-hmm. We have people who like they, their favorites or whatever mm-hmm. who are the ones voting. And then if you don't vote for a person and it messes up their money, I don't think that's right. If the evaluations for contracts in general, because like if you if you start putting incentives for points and things like that, and then you say we're trying to build a team concept, well, mm-hmm. why are you incentivizing my individualism? Exactly. A- exactly. And then it's just like you you put certain clauses in the contracts or whatever. I, and I just don't think, you know, it, when you have – media member voting and whatever, and then they don't like a player or whatever because I just, you know, if they don't, if they have in their mind that they don't like a player and then the, that player won't get get their money. So I, I don't, I don't know. No, I, 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 only, I, only, the only award I'm invested in is the rookie of the year thing. And I think you should go to John Morant. That's, that's the only done. one I'm investing in. That, I don't even know why they announced finalists for that one. Right. I don't even know why. Because if, if John doesn't get it, this is going to be a freaking riot. It really is. <laughs> it I, really, really is. <laughs> oh, it really is. People are going to be mad. It's, it's just like, it's going to break Twitter. <laughs> and he was my, he was, he was my player. Like it, it was hard at times for me to say that Zion was, was, was better than him at times during it before the mm-hmm. draft. Cause I was really hoping that the Knicks were would have gotten the two in the lottery so that the Pelicans could have traded with the Knicks, sent Anthony Davis to the Knicks, and they would have had Zion and Ja. And then I would be like, that that was my dream scenario. But I like the way it yeah. is now. I like the way it is now because I love watching Ja Morant. I love watching that team. I, th- I, think, I think Memphis is an enta- entertaining team. I think they are a mm-hmm. talented team. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them. And, and you're fortunate to get to cover them. Right, because I, I was telling one of my, um, I uh, was telling one of my friends, you know, it's, it's three of us. One of them, she covers Luca in Atlanta, mm-hmm. 
my other friend, she covers, um, I mean, she covers Luca in Dallas. I'm sorry. And the other friend covers uh, Trey in Atlanta, and I covered John Memphis. I was like, wow, look at the blessings, you know, that we have in, in order to do this. That I mean, to me, that's just so awesome that we get a chance to co cover those three players. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to see what happens the rest of the way. I know um, you're going to be on pins and needles waiting to see how this season ends up, this last game. Uh with with for the Grizz and the, and the Bucks, um, and, and I just have to wish y'all luck. I, I'll do it. I wish y'all luck. It's not it's not a rivalry for me. I'm a journalist, so I don't care. Right. But I, I, I wish the Grizz luck, and I, I hope they do pull this thing out with the Bucks um, and get that opportunity to get into the postseason. I think it's it would be a great story, and I look forward to seeing uh, how you cover it. Okay, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, that, that is Sharon Shy Brown. You can catch her podcast, um, The Shy Show, uh, yep. on all the outlets. And tell them again your social media and your website address. It's uh, at Sharon Shy Brown on Twitter. The web address is TheMemphisFlyer.com and then AllHeartAndHoopCity.com. Thank you so much. Um, and you and I certainly will be chatting again on Twitter at the very least soon. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. That is another edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow me at DM Grubb or visit my website, HITP with DG.com. Be back again with another one for you tomorrow. Hard in the paint.